Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. Today we are continuing our series, the 12-week Torah, and we are looking in the book of Genesis in the opening chapters. And this section of scripture is so loaded with interesting stories and topics that it would take days upon days to even scratch the surface of all the material we have in these first three chapters. And so I'm going to try to hit some highlights of areas that I think are underdeveloped. Um, There are plenty of resources out there for you to go and explore some of the uh, more common and popular uh, debated topics within these first three chapters. You can go and research uh, marriage, for instance, and you can look at uh, diverse opinions over whether Adam and Eve were created in a complementarian fashion or an egalitarian fashion. Are they, um, do they have different roles or are they given the same role? And um, those are topics that there's a lot of material out there on. You can go and research that. I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, you could talk about the age of the earth and how old do we think um, creation is based on these first three chapters and the rest of scripture. There's a lot of material out there and you can go and research that through places like Answers in Genesis and some of the other creation ministries that I've mentioned in the last podcast. Um, But I want to focus on, like I said, some of the things that I think don't get brought to the forefront too often. I'm going to start by talking about God's image. Man was made in God's image. And that is talked about quite a bit, but I don't know that we always get down to the nitty-gritty of what that means. Um, oftentimes, we use the phrase God's image to describe man and often to describe his value and worth. And so the book of James tells us that we shouldn't use our tongue to curse men who are made in the image of God. And we often use this in our Christian conversation to describe the value and worth of human beings as a whole. We'll use it to uphold uh, the sanctity of life because we say that people are made in God's image. But not too often do we get down to brass tacks of what it actually means to be an image bearer. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It can't mean that we look like him because God is not physical. He's not material. He doesn't have features that could be replicated in a material being like humanity. And so that can't be the idea of what image bearing is. If I were to make something in the image of my son, I would create something that looked like him. That's what that expression normally means, but that can't be what it means for an invisible being, a being who is spirit, like God is. And so we have to be looking at other avenues that could explain what it means to be made in the image of God. Some have suggested that this is an attribute of God that is passed on to humanity. Uh, So because they're creative and they can make things and, and fashion things and design things, and that reflects God's creativity, that that's what it means to be made in the image of God. It could be that we have a moral compass and we know right from wrong and we know Um, various um, ethical boundaries and things of that nature that differentiate us from the animal kingdom. That could be what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, But I think that there is a better explanation of what it means to be made in the image of God that eliminates some of the guesswork. And I think it requires us to look back contextually at the culture of the ancient world. And in the ancient world, an image was usually erected to represent deity. And so when you looked at the statue or idol, you would be uh, reminded of the one whom is represented by that structure. 
and this would be used by emperors, this would be used by uh, the various gods that they worshipped in these pagan cultures, and I believe that God had set up humanity in such a way that they were the image that were supposed to represent God. When people would look at one another, they would remember that it's God who is the creator, and they represented God to the entire world. And as the ones who had dominion over the animal kingdom, um, even the animals and all that looked upon humanity would acknowledge that they are God's representatives and they are the ones who were going to be in charge of God's creation. And, and so that, I think, is a better understanding. And I think when you look through the scripture and you look at the places where it refers to the image of God, you have that same understanding. Jesus comes later on as the image of God. And once again, he doesn't look like God in his physical features, but he does look like God in the way that he represents God. He acts on God's behalf. He has the authority of God, and uh, he does so in such a perfect way that he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That is an expression of Jesus' deity, but it's also an expression of his representation of deity in the fact that he lives a life that perfectly reflects the Father's will at all times. And that's what Adam was supposed to do, and that's what we're called to do, and that's what all humanity was called to do. But unfortunately, sin enters um, the equation, and it doesn't mean that we've lost all of our image-bearing qualities, but rather we just don't always reflect God's goodness the way that we are supposed to because of the fall. But I think that's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are to look at one another and be reminded of who God is and what God did in the creation. Before leaving this topic, I will also remind us that in the Ten Commandments, God, he commanded that there be no graven image created in his likeness or after his likeness. There, there was nothing that was supposed to be created by hands that would represent God. That's very unique to the Hebrew God of the Old Testament. Every other deity required a representation, required a statue, required something that could be looked upon and remind the masses that that God existed. But that's not true with Yahweh. Yahweh said, do not create anything. And I think the reason he said, do not create anything to represent him is because he already did that. He did that when he created Adam and Eve. But I want to move from the image of God to the purpose of man. We see that they're made in the image of God, but what is their purpose? Why were they created? And the Bible says that Adam and Eve were made, and they were made to have dominion over the earth. And it says this, that they were to work the earth and keep it. In Genesis 2.15, Adam was commanded to work it and keep it. Now, those Hebrew words that are used for work it and keep it are often translated serve and guard. And anytime those two words are used together, it's almost always a reference to the priestly duty of serving and guarding God's temple, serving and ministering in the temple and guarding the temple from sin and from unclean, uncleanliness. And so I believe that this is a depiction of Adam and Eve as being the first priest in the first temple. I believe this temple uh, you know, though it's not a physical structure, it's not a building, but I believe the Garden of Eden was the very first earthly temple, and all other sacred spaces that come after this, the tabernacle and the temple and all that, 
are simply a reflection of what God had created in Eden. And the Jewish literature that you read would indicate that Eden itself was simply a uh, prototype fashioned after the blueprint of heaven, where God had set up the heavenly temple. So Eden was like the earthly manifestation of the heavenly reality. God sits in heaven, and he's got his inner sanctuary. He's got his holy of holy place where his throne is. And the Bible says that the earth is his footstool. And Eden reflected that. So we get into the um, early uh, scripture and look at the Garden of Eden, and we see some comparisons to the temples that would come later on, and it shows us that this indeed is the temple. Uh, so the temple of God obviously was erected on the mountain of God, Zion, but according to Ezekiel 28, God had first established himself on the mountain of God in Eden. And so this becomes the first holy mountain where God he comes to earth and his divine presence is located there, which is another trait necessary for it to be a temple. The temple was considered where God lived. Though God cannot be contained to any one place, he's omnipresent. He has a very unique presence situated in the holy place of the temple and the tabernacle and originally in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden isn't the entire earth. This is just a place on the earth and uh, outside of the garden is still the creation, but God's unique presence is found in Eden. That's where Adam and Eve walked with God, it says. So walking with God is symbolic of the same communion that one would have with God at the temple. Um, there's a lampstand in the temple that's made of pure gold, and we see the gold and other precious jewels that are mentioned here in the book of uh, Genesis in these first chapters. And uh, this gold lampstand was probably representative of the tree of life. The lampstand had a trunk. It had seven limbs or stems coming off of it. It had almond blossom cups. And so it looks very much like a, an almond tree, a tree that would have some sort of fruit or something that you could eat from it. And uh, that tree of life was probably represented there in the temple when it was created. Uh, furthermore, we've got... Um, the Adam and Eve as priests in the in the uh, garden. We've got this garden facing east. That is also the temple faces east. We see this in Ezekiel. The eschatological temple will face east. It has a river running out of it. There are rivers running through uh, Eden that are depicted here. Uh, these precious stones that are mentioned, many of them become the stones that are on the breastplate of Aaron and the other priests that serve in the temple. Uh, we see cherubim are placed outside of Eden to guard it once Adam and Eve are kicked out because of their sin, and that's the same imagery that's depicted on the veil that stands in the Holy of Holies to protect and guard that sacred place where God's presence is from sinners who cannot come in. Only the high priest one time a year could come in, and we know that later on Jesus becomes the high priest that uh, enters in on our behalf. Um, and, and so all these parallels are there, and I think we need to Take note of that to see that Adam and Eve are priests and they are supposed to be ministering on God's behalf, I think, to have dominion and to um, multiply like they were commanded to, to multiply and fill the earth was a command for them to expand the Garden of Eden, to expand God's holy sacred place to fill the entire earth. That was their duty. Um, but sin come in, comes into the picture, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about that, um, but that sort of 
disrupts the flow of the original creation. And the rest of the Bible is about restoring all that was lost in Eden. That's why when we get to the book of Revelation, we see much that was lost, uh, well, everything that was lost really restored to the way that it was supposed to be. And not just the original creation, but we get to experience the fulfillment of what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. We get to the end of uh, the creation mandate to fill the earth. And we see that in the new heaven and new earth. It is filled with God's glory, with all the representatives of God's people there. And they are image bearers. We look at one another and we see the image of God. The final thing I want to look at is the relationship of human beings and land. This is very underdeveloped uh, in our modern day. We don't talk a lot about land. Uh, we aren't a type of people that are extremely agricultural. We do have farmers and we do have people who rely on the land as their income, but we don't tie these things together theologically that much. And um, that one of the things that's missing in our theology as we read through the Old Testament oftentimes, especially as you read through the Torah, you're going to need to see that human beings and land are connected. In fact, there's like a three-way relationship often between human beings, God, and land. We look at Adam in the book of Genesis, and uh, he was taken from the soil of the earth. That's how he was created. Uh, and in fact, the word for land or for soil that describes where Adam came from is the word in Hebrew, Adama. It's the female version of Adam. Uh, so it's not his wife. Eve becomes his wife, but uh, this female version of Adam is what produces Adam. So you, the people who talk about Mother Earth, they're not that far off. Obviously, a lot of those don't have the same theological concepts uh, in their mind when they talk about Mother Earth, but certainly the land gave birth to Adam by the power of God. God breathed into Adam the breath of life, but he is a part of the land. And when he sins, God says, from the land you came and from the land you shall return. So when you die, you go back from whence you came. Uh, and so Adam is brought out of the land. He is put in the land of Eden. He's put in that that. Um, demarcated area, those parameters. They become special to Adam and to Eve, and he is to guard it and keep it and to serve in it, all that we've already talked about, and it's connected to the area. It's connected to the land. It's connected to the vegetation in the land. Um, all that we read about those early days, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's a tree of life, all this stemming from the land. And so their duty to cultivate and keep it and guard it and all that was entailed there uh, is connected to the creation. Um, when Adam and Eve sin, one of the consequences of that sin, in verse 17, it says that cursed is the ground because of you. And it goes on to say that thorns and thistles shall be brought forth, and uh, you shall eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. And, and so we've got this idea that now the ground is going to be more complicated, tilling it and, and keeping it and growing things. Um, his relationship with the ground is strained. 
His relationship with his wife is strained. His relationship with God is strained. All of these are connected. Um, and so we've got the strain of all that once was easy. It once was easy to walk with God in Eden. It was once easy to relate to one's wife uh, in Eden. It was once easy to work the earth and keep it. But now all of that is going to be strained. And uh, then it goes on to talk about some other elements of this. It says in verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He doesn't get to work it in Eden anymore. He has to work it outside of Eden. He is sent away. And then this is important, so take note of this. He drove out man at the east of the Garden of Eden. And that's where he places the cherubim. So he is moved out on the east side. And that's important because that is a theme that gets repeated throughout the Bible. In fact, it gets repeated almost immediately when we get to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, obviously Cain kills his brother Abel uh, because he's jealous over the sacrifice that's accepted by God. And listen to the consequences of Cain's sin. It says in verse 12, When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, that's similar to Adam. He's going to have difficulty, and it's going to be strained in his working of the earth. The same thing is true of Cain, but the major issue here is that he's going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. That's the greatest consequence, uh, because he no longer has a place to call his own. People need that. People need a place to call their own. Deep down inside, they are created with this innate need to have a place, a home. Cain's response is very telling of this. He says to God in verse 14, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. So there's a connection here between the ground and God's face. And I believe probably that Adam and Eve and their community probably set up right outside of Eden. It was at least accessible. They could venture back to its parameters, but they couldn't go inside. That's where the cherubim were. And so my guess is that at Cain and Abel, they had their sacrifices and they brought them to the edges of Eden. That's where they would meet with God. God would be veiled most likely behind um, the where the cherubim were, similar to in the temple where the holy place was veiled and and cut off from people and their access. They no longer could access God there. They had to make their sacrifices outside the veil. And that was probably what was happening with Cain and with Abel. And so Cain is having this conversation with God outside the edges of Eden, and he's sending him away. He's sending him away, and he's saying, you can't work this ground anymore. You're a fugitive and a wanderer. You're going to wander around the rest of your days. And and Cain's response is, you've cut me off from the ground and from your face, and it will be hidden from me. And then he's worried that people will kill him and all this other stuff. Um, but the last thing I'll say about this in verse 16, it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There we have that idea of him going east. And we're going to see this eastward expansion materialize in the Babel narrative in Genesis 11 when they move far enough east to the plains of Shinar. And then Babel sort of becomes this epitome of all evil throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, but it all begins with a trajectory started with Adam and Eve. When they sin, they kick, they're kicked out from God's presence, out from the land, and they move 
eastward. And when they get to Babel, there they are trying to regain everything they lost in Eden. They're trying to be one people in one place, and they want access to God, so they're building a stair step to heaven. They want everything. In Eden, they had the presence of God, the people of God, and the place of God, and they're trying to build that back by their own power, and it fails because it is not God's way, but their own way. We'll cover that more as we get into Genesis, but we're going to stop there for today. And uh, we want to invite you back next time on the Bible Brush Up.